be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Dan Cottrell. In this episode, we welcome Ian Hollingworth to the podcast. So, good evening, Ian. Good evening, Dan. Pleasure to be here. Great. I'm really pleased to have Ian along tonight because he represents much of the exciting coaching that's happening, not only at club level, but also with aspiring players who are stepping up a level. I'm looking to looking forward to finding out more about that. Uh, so let's start with you, Ian. Give me a little bit of the backstory. So um, I've been coaching from about 11 years now so going through all the age grades um, started off as many coaches would do as a dad standing at the sideline Um, been a a follower of rugby for many years prior to that Um, but when my son started playing I just ended up watching and volunteered my own self rather than being pushed onto a pitch I volunteered my services and said (laughs) uh, if you need any help then uh, then let me know. Um, and they said, yeah, yeah, please, please do. So I joined, I think it probably around about under six. Um, and then I found out that I just really, uh, something that stayed with me all th- right until now, I just became quite passionately curious about how to do things. So I sought out, you know, qualifications and learning, reading, just soaking up as much information as I could just to try and learn how to do this thing that I just volunteered for. So, yeah, went through the the qualifications, level one, level two, um, and so currently now uh, in my role at a club is I'm more like a roaming multi-role coach. So I'm a co- coach coordinator. I also help mentor coach coaches at the club. Um, sort of quite f- uh, big on kids first, kids first champion, um, DPP coach, so just generally give help where it's needed. Sorry, you're just going to have to tell me what a DPP coach so, is or a So DPP would be the Developing Player Pathway. So this is uh, the academy system that works in the country. So uh, I, I work in the Saracens Academy. So that would be Essex, Hertfordshire and Kent. So it's a program for children from under 13 all the way through to under 16. And it's the, the first step on the ladder, really, uh, on the elite player pathway. So I help out with that. So it's been a fun season, and uh, that part, and just for sorry, just uh, for that part of the world, is that sort of North London, North so East London. So we, so 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 it's Essex um, Centre, and we normally operate out of a school in Basildon. So that will be kids coming in from uh, East London, sort of North East London, that area. Yeah, so 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 you've, there's another centre further further towards the the northeast of Essex but uh, the one that I work in um, mainly is in is in Basildon. And it's quite a populous rugby area is that right? It, yeah I mean Essex has always been a bit more of a football county um, it's growing there's some you know some pretty pretty good clubs now um, so it's always been fighting for existence with the main football uh, fraternity so we're, but uh, I think yeah I'd, I'd say probably you know thousand two thousand players at under 13 under 14 level because the, the dpp picks up about 10 percent of those um to put them into the program so yeah it's a really good playing numbers 
I'm interested about this fight uh, that you're sort of fighting for their attention. Is that a healthy thing that football versus rugby? I know some coaches have talked in previous podcasts about the difficulty in trying to get the balance right between let's try and pull in this really good player or maybe we've got to let them go. Uh, How do you feel about that? Well, part of me says, do you know what, if they're children, let them play sports and let them enjoy what they like to, to do. No one really owns a child. Um, the more sports a child can participate in, the better it is for them in their development. And at some point, they may take a preference um, for one over the other. But um, I don't think anyone is forcing any child or shouldn't be forcing any child to do something they don't want to do. Um, and the more opportunity that you have to have children playing multiple sports, then the better it is for them, really. That's why I look at it. So it's not a competition for, for, for players. It's, um, it's you know, If you see the player in front of you and they're enjoying it, then they're more likely to stay put in the sport. Now, I, I can guess, uh, knowing you as well, that that is something that you firmly believe in. And it's just the, the way that you are because you want these all children to uh, be themselves and be the best that they can be. Do you feel that there is um, an atmosphere around the sports at maybe the slightly higher level, which you're involved in, where you're saying, well, we've just got to work a little bit harder with this boy because he's a good soccer player, he's a good cricketer, he's a good rugby player, and it might be that he... We, we lose out on him. Is that, could you get that sense from others? Um, not really. I've not really seen it too much. There's been a few, as they get older, they sort of stick with rugby. So I think there's, there's a period when I think my, my experience is like football will be uh, moved from a Saturday to a Sunday. So they've basically got to choose whether they want to play rugby or football because they're both on the same day of the week. Um, but then once once that decision has been taken, I think most children's my experience sort of stay put. Um, very few later on, once they've gone into their you know their teenage years, seem to drop out to go to a different sport. They'll play different sports as well as rugby, but they won't stop. They tend not to, to stop rugby for another sport. They may stop rugby completely, and they might stop sport completely. But not by that point, they've probably chosen to, to stay with the sport. Now, another expression you've used, which is one which is out there quite a lot, is passionately curious. What do you think that means? Um, uh, just, uh, uh, it's, I'm just constantly trying to work out what, what people are doing, what the the best way challenging myself or challenging different approaches and just looking out and listening to stuff on other on podcasts or reading books or blogs just totally immersing myself in in various different media to sort of see what what's going on um some of it's like really high end and i don't understand a word of it because it's all crazy language like um environmental dynamics and you think well that sounds good i've got no idea what it means mm. um but but uh but, but other things sort of that can be explained in a in a language that your joe public can understand really so so it's just really trying to immerse myself and find out what's going on and sometimes you'll get something that really just sparks you off and you go oh my god that is just so cool um and it, it just changes you and your philosophy and your approach to everything really so so that's what it really means and you're constantly trying to think well what's the next big thing I, what I get from you all the time is an enormous amount of energy. 
that you are getting from being passionately curious and yeah, that yeah. really feeds feeds you and i remember the the first session i met you at you were you were racing around trying things out all the time and mm. uh, you could see that 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 energy is very important as a coach to have because then it obviously feeds through into the players so just developing that and moving into our the first question i was going to ask you because you obviously love being challenged as a coach and challenging your players now with those challenges in the last year what do you think has changed for you given that you've been passionately curious been looking into lots of different areas what what things have you done differently this year that you weren't doing last year so i think the, the more I've, I've sort of tried to to challenge myself so so i found around about i don't know when would it have been 2016 I suppose so 2016 was a big year for for me and for rugby so 2016 was the year where age grade rugby changed the rules of the game the progressions of the game changed um it was the year when I first came across this guy called Russell Earnshaw and his methods and um of coaching which totally blew my world apart um and I started to to use some of the things I was learning in in terms of individual player challenges into um into my sessions and this year i've really started focusing back on me and coach challenging so try and change how i approach things maybe taking a few risks now and again um even with if i'm coaching my own or if i'm co-coaching so okay i'm going to ask you what uh, give me an example of a risk or two that you've taken so 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 what risk so they for example sunday so I was helping out um, with a coach who was uh, under eights coach, and we'd run this uh, games session, and and at the end of it all, I just decided I was just going to withdraw completely from the session, and I just took him away as well, and I said to him, "Just let's see." I'd never done this before, right? So I just said. Just let's see if we, if the kids will self-organise. So they've been playing this game, and see how they will react. The try had been scored, and they had to reset the game and just play it. And I just said, just don't say anything. Now this was the first session that I'd helped um, with this with this coach, um, and the parents obviously watching. So it's a huge risk that they would have gone. While they they stopped coaching, what are they doing? Um, and actually, I took the risk, and the kids just started organise themselves. So it's back to the middle spot. They started the game again, and they just played. And as as they were playing, I was just went over to the cut to the parents, and I said, "We've deliberately withdrawn ourselves because we want these children to learn how to self organise, and to because it's really important for for their development to be able to take their own decisions and." play their own games because coaches ultimately want to make themselves redundant so the earlier we can start doing this the better it is for them and the parents will yeah it's great but i've never done it before and it was a big risk and it paid off brilliantly okay let's say you take a risk or you you may have had one that's happened this year this one worked yeah there might have been ones where you've taken a risk and it hasn't worked. Yeah. If that's been the case, can you give me an example? If it hasn't been the case, let's say that the kids hadn't self-organized. So what what would it, what would have happened, or what would you've done, or how would you've reacted? So, I, so 
a while ago, I probably would have got a bit frustrated that they hadn't really got it and it was all their fault rather than mine. But then, you know, over the years, you suddenly realise, well, it's actually just the environment that you're creating as a coach. So I've learned to say, well, if I've tried something that's not quite worked, then sometimes it depends on the situation and depends on the mood that the players are in because children can be the same group but very different groups depending on the day of the week and what the day at school has been for example so so there's just two little tactics so one is i've got just a go-to game so right right stop we're just going to go to a game we're just going to play i don't know just a standard box down a game of touch and that will give me an opportunity just to let them just play a game that they know I'll sit there and have my thinking time to say, right, so what do I need to do? Because it's easier to step away to think about what you've done, what hasn't worked quite right, how you might want to change it. Then you go back in and say, right, we're just going to go back in and do something slightly different and tweak it a little bit. If you're trying to do it whilst you're doing the game and it doesn't work and you haven't got, you're trying to do it on the fly, it's much harder to actually to address something. So I've always tried to give myself a little bit of thinking time just to, to, to go back. Alternatively, you just try and either slow things down, take it back a step. Um, you know, if you've, if you've brought in too many constraints into the game or too many rules into the game that they're trying to fathom out, then just make it sort of simplify it a little bit. So give them a little bit more success and then we, we build again. So it's important that there is a certain level of success before you actually move on to the uh, to the next challenge that you want to give to a child. So so it's really just like those two those two options: either make it easier, see how you go again, or just do something completely different while you give yourself some thinking time. Now, you're putting risks out there. Do you think that you could have done those risks four or five years ago? Uh, no, I don't think so. So uh, so this is the thing. So it's. The, the, that that epiphany moment, I suppose, when you've come through your level ones, your level twos, and you, you're sitting there and you've got your session plan worked out and it's all beautifully printed on a bit of paper and you're expecting exactly the right number of children to turn up and they're all meant to be really well behaved and they're all going to learn all key factors and all this sort of stuff because that's what you've been told how to coach. And then all of a sudden something happens and you think there's no plan here they're they're playing with a football for god's sake and and what and it's just totally different approach to to do that and it gives you the flexibility and this is what i say to coaches that i'm helping now is just that gives you the flexibility just to relax a bit more just let the kids enjoy the game and throw in a challenge now and again and don't have to feel that you've you've got to comply with a, a plan that you've worked hours or days on you know it doesn't necessarily have to go that way because you just end up with a a framework or a scaffold for a session and then you just go with the flow so i think that until i you know that's that passionate curiousness if if i until i'd worked out that there was a different or seen that there was a different way of doing this i think i'd have just been doing the the bog standard this is what you do and you've got to show the key factors now and this is your session plan and you know, all of that sort of stuff. So, so no, I definitely don't think I'd have been doing the coaching the way I coach now four years ago. It's in, I, I, a lot of things sort of come into my mind about some of the, the journeys I've been on in a similar way and mm. where I've almost thrown in too many challenges yeah. to the players and they, they, can't, they can't cope with yeah. it. You know they're good ideas, but there are too many of them. 
and you need yeah. to just say, I need Definitely. to give you one or two challenges rather than four or five because the players, to use a bit of the phraseology, the players' yeah. bandwidth is not wide enough at this stage. And perhaps even your own bandwidth is not wide enough because you are offering up too much. That, 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 I think that's the great danger, especially if you've been on a coaching course, you've been with people like Rusty, uh, Russell Earnshaw or John Fletcher and the like. You, you come away yeah. with a whole barrel full of jumping frogs of ideas yeah. and then you let them loose and you can't understand why the kids aren't loving the session because the reality is they need to have only one or two little bits and pieces up their sleeves. So what I, yeah. I like there in particular is you've got a safe zone almost that mm. if it's not going quite right, I'm going to put you in this safe zone, which is actually a safe zone for me. And if I'm feeling a bit more in control, I can then pull it back a bit, maybe take away a few of the, the challenges. Now, an- another question, which is sort of along those lines, really, because you're now taking risks. Why don't you think more coaches are... I wonder how many of them Why aren't they being more are aware themselves? I just because it, I, I wasn't aware of, of of this approach until I became aware of it. Does that make sense? So it's maybe it's what you don't know. So I, th- I think that you might consider you know having had sort of years of experience coaching bef- and you're getting confident in, in what you would call a a standard way of coaching, and then being able to say. I'm open to to a different way, different of, of approaches to vary it because it keeps you the coach interested. Um, so maybe it's coaches need a level of experience just to do coaching first, or maybe it's that they're just not aware that this sort of type or style exists. Um, so so yes, yeah, so I'm not too sure. So we're certainly when I've sort of seen coaches in the club I'm at the moment that they're providing great coaching experiences for for children um and then all i'm trying to do is layer on some of the stuff you just mentioned just sort of making sure that it's simplistic or asking them do do you know do the children know what they're meant to be learning about how do you know as a coach that, that what they're what they're focusing on um you know and then just trying to put in a, a challenge like have you asked them this question or have you tried to do this thing with them so just slowly trying to introduce them to a slightly different way. So, so example I can give you there. So, um, one of the one of the, the traits of coaching is, is quite a lot of instructions coming in from the sideline. So one one coach was shouting, you know, press up, press up. We're defending, press up. And um, and I, I sort of went up to him. I said, Do you, you know, have you have you tried to ask them a different question to see if they understand? And he was like, he looked at me. He said, "Like, what, what, what do you mean?" I said, "Well, the, so he asked them, what do they need to do next in that situation? So don't tell them it, but just what do they need to do next?" So you could feel him thinking about what I just message I've just landed with him, and he didn't do it immediately. And then later on in the game, I was standing there, and he just shouted, "What do you need to do next?" And by all of the kids, this was like under 11s, I think, all of the kids just automatically pushed, pushed up in defence. And he just looked across to me and he smiled as if to say, you know, they do know how to do that. So, so it's a little, sort of, you know, you open your eyes to sort of say, have you tried something different? And then slowly, I think the coaches will then go, yeah, that works, actually. I might, I might try that again. Or, um, you know, there's, there's various different ways you can do it just to try and get other coaches to buy into the methodology and, and then just 
take it from there. Um, and uh, interesting what you're saying as well about doing too much. One of one of my faults in you know, earlier coaching is you're trying to see everything, so you end up seeing nothing. And if you try and coach everything, you end up coaching nothing. So, you know, if we just coaching kids, you really have to keep it on a, on, we're just going to focus on one or two key things. And that's what is enough for a kid to do in a session. Um, and if you see other things, you just have to try and ignore it because that's not where your focus is. So, so little ha- tips like that, I, I tend to have conversations with coaches about those sort of things. If you're seeing too many things, that's fine. You can bank that and put it for another session, but focus on what you're focusing on. Because um, then that's the way you get better learning within your hour or hour and a half or however long you've got with the kids. Vital that they say less as coaches and keep reiterating maybe the mantra for that night, which could be um, maybe just focusing on one small part of the tackle or the pass, yeah. all those sorts of things. So these coaches there, you're speaking to them. And one of the things I'm always interested in is, is there is there a moment for them where they can actually step beyond being, I'm the junior coach, I just get my head around the fact I'm coaching kids, so maybe with them a couple of years. So in order to be able to challenge the players, how confident do you need to be in your own technical and tactical ability to be able to say, I'm not going to give them these three other points because I know or I sense they'll get them eventually today it's going to be this. Yeah, I think so. So I think coaches tend to worry a little bit about knowledge of the game and technical and tactical ability. But but when you when you consider going through from I don't know under sevens through to um, maybe under thirteens, and that that would be like a, a a kids first bracket. And and I and I tried to say that you're realistically. Your, your technical ability, the technical knowledge that you need to have is, is very, very small. So an under sevens, you might say, all we want to do is try and teach them how to pass and catch. So you could have a whole season just focusing on that. Now, you don't need to be a genius coach and know all the ins and outs of everything to be able to just say to a kid how to pass and catch. So and as you sort of develop through through the years, you might say, okay, well, we want to try and develop next year. We want to try and do calling for the ball or running onto the ball or catching it on the move or doing some evasion. And as you start doing the contact, you might start introducing tower of power. Now, these are relatively simple concepts for or, or technical concepts for, for coaches to grasp. Um, you, we're not we're not coaching to prepare for Saracens versus Exeter when you're doing individual player analysis of their strengths and weaknesses. These are, these are children. So, so coaches don't need to think that they have to be, you know, masters, you know, when they're actually just teaching basic rugby to children. And then obviously then on the, the tactical side, you, you, my advice to people is just use the principles of play because they really help in terms of, you know, your basic, run forward or go forward with the ball, support, look for space, you know, you know, all of those things that help you tactically work out the right things to do in the right situation. Um, you know, so... I'm always interested, sorry, I'm interested, interested in the go forward concept, which I'm not criticising the go forward concept when I say this. If they are playing under eights rugby, mm-hmm. when they go forward, they run into players who are going to tag them straight away. Is there a way that we can encourage the players to go forward at that level 
where they can actually see a sense in going forward. Because really, the space is on the corners of that defence, not in front of them. So funny enough, that was the session on Sunday, uh, working with the under eight. So under nines, they start to introduce the grab tackle or the tackle. So I, we were saying that that's what they've got to do for next year. But really, we don't want to be tackled, do we? We want to evade. So what we were doing was we were playing. We were saying, how do you evade? So we, they were, the children were saying, oh, we, we dodge. So I show me what a dodge looks like. Okay, fine. So... So then we were saying, right, we're going to play a game. And every time someone shows me a really good evasive movement and dodges around somebody, then we're going to give you five points. You score a try, we'll give you one point. But you dodge and move around somebody, we'll give you five points. And then we progressed the game to say, so obviously children were moving, running around in circles and running backwards as they do at that age. And I said, right, so... So now what we want to do is we're going to give you another, you're going to give you another five points if you dodge and then go forward. Um, and then, and, the, and it just, because they're getting points. So they'll, they'll do things to reward their points. And, and if I saw them maybe sort of starting to look backwards, I'd just go, which way do we have to run? And then they'd immediately just step and go forward again. So it was, it was great to see it. So you're just using a scoring system, simple scoring system to reward which direction they've got to run in. And then, funnily enough, right at the very end, this child was they were playing a game of bulldog just to finish off, the, and I, I was standing next to me, and he was stood right in the corner of the of the, the, the square. And I stood, I said, what are you standing there for? He said, well, there's no one in front of me. And I thought, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that we don't, we, sometimes we don't give kids enough credit that they can solve problems themselves. Yeah. Even okay. at that a young age. Yeah, well, that leads me quite nearly on to the next question, is that sometimes the players don't get it. And um, I just want to draw on your experience of working with the DPP mm-hmm. group. So these are players who are the top 10% in the, the county or the region. Yeah. And you're going to challenge them. Uh, and they are supposed to be not necessarily the best of the best, but the, the better players... What happens if you challenge them, challenge them, and you can see the challenge is just not working? Or are you going to tell me that all your challenges always work? No, no, not at all. And I think that you know, in the DPP, it's a slightly different environment because um, it would be it would be, I suppose, an element of greater pressure. So we try and uh, maintain a DPP session that's quite pacey. Um, that they've got to try and uh, make quite a lot of decisions very quickly, um, and and then in div- so I, I might apply more individual challenges to a player, um, but more. Can you give me some examples of those individual challenges? Then? Well, you might want to say to a player that um, in a group you say only three of you are allowed to score in this game. Or you might want to say, uh, try for, you, you've got a certain part of the field where you can only defend in this certain area and see if the attack notices that. So if you identify a strong defender, you might want to say, okay, just defend in that area for me to see to see what happens. So then you might, you might want to look at the other players to say, who do you think your strongest defender is? They'll point to that person and that person isn't moving out from that area because I've told him you can't move out from that area. So... So you challenge him. So, so what do you notice about that player now? Because I've not told him what I've told that other player. He's not. He's not moving. Okay. So how do you get the attack? 
how do you get the defenders, sorry, to actually push the attack towards that that stronger defender? So it's you know just using slightly subtleties about manipulating individual players as well as the game rules to actually try and challenge individuals. So um, so so those types of things really would be. Um, what we do in the session but then the other point about the dpp is that because we don't i think there's only about eight sessions in the year the bigger challenge for them which is which we try to reiterate at the end of every session is what you do between this session and the next session is what matters so you're learning from that session that you then the player might take back into a school or a club and have you know maybe another eight sessions of rugby before they come back into the next DPP session and how how have they personally taken responsibility for their own development in that intervening time. So that's like a, cha- a challenge that you'd, you'd never see because you just have to leave it with them. But you'd hope that the ones that have got that discipline are the ones that are going to develop the faster. Now, in this environment, I'm particularly interested in how you react to this problem. Um, I'm thinking back to 2009, 2010, and I was lucky enough to be working with uh, the Welsh women side, and we had uh, a great range of some really good players and some inexperienced players who were great athletes as well, and we had some success, and um, and things sometimes didn't go quite right. We did quite a few games, and some of the games, the the players really res- some of the players really responded well to it. They really got it. They really got the challenge. And they, you could see them really thinking. And a couple of the other players didn't didn't respond well to it. Yet I knew that they were two or three of the best players in the team. And I suppose my reflection at the time was um, that I, you can always reflect you can do it better and pro- produce better exercises and communicate it better. I'm just wondering that sometimes do we expect all our players to be passionately curious if you like about their own development or can we accept that one or two of them will never be that way yet they'll still be effective players can we have a balance within the team or do we need all players who are willing to challenge themselves and be super excited about competitions like the ones you're offering yeah i I think for for the first thing i'd say to that is that that children would be in different moods, different days, depending on what's going on home school. So one day you might get that experience where someone's just not, their head's not in the right space, they've turned up, and you, you're saying, well, you don't really get it. So it's about understanding what's going on in their heads a little bit, about you know that they can do things a little bit better. Um, so they just might be having an off day. But that that's cool. We all we all get off days, so this is a a long term program of, of rugby development. So a few off days here and then aren't going to make much difference. So, uh, and Ian, can I just stop you there? I think that's one of the things, and certainly you you will recognise this yourself, is that you more the longer you've been in coaching, the more patient yeah. you are with a player not getting yeah. it, and that's certainly coming across. You, you, there'll be other coaches who say, but. They, they should get it. They should get it. What, what's gone wrong? What's gone wrong? And yet you're saying, right, today, this player, for some reason, hasn't hasn't got it. So I'm not going to be on at them. I'm not going to be, I mean, I'll start be encouraging them, of course. I'm also going to say, step back and say, 
maybe not this week. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's, I, I remember when we started going into contact with a, the group that I was coaching and, and I remember saying to the kids, don't worry about missing tackles. I don't think I tackled anyone until I was under 13. You know, so this, this is what happens with, with, um, with players is that all of a sudden, whether they go through a, a, a growth spur and they just transform into this new individual that you've never seen before, um, and they've got a huge amount of skills that, that all of a sudden come to the fore that, that they've never had before, um, you, you, just, you, just, you just don't quite know. So I always say, just like, this is such a long-term game. This is why we talk about not trying to be pigeonholed in specific positions because who knows what what position they're likely to be in by the time they're seventeen or eighteen or you know or, or in the adult game. You know the, the youth the youth game is a very very small component part of their rugby life. We hope you know I've seen stories of people aged seventy five still having a run out on a, a Saturday. You know so so there's hope for us yet. Then. There is there is there is. So, so yeah, so we, we, patience is, is the key for all of this, I think. And uh, I, I know that I cut, cut into what you were saying So uh, previously. So here we are at the DPP, um, uh, hour, hour and a half, two hours, do you have with them? So, it's, it's norm- so the rugby session is normally uh, about an hour and a half. Right. And obviously it's very high tempo. Um, yep. Now, within a high tempo situation you're not going to be saying much yet you want to keep the tempo high so what are you saying to keep that uh, energy so certainly within within the saracens uh, dpp their one of their key values is work rate so so the, the, we would we would constantly reinforce that that is a, that is a a value uh, that we're looking for so we reinforce that at the start of every session that, that that is one of the key things that they need to bring They're in, they bring their own energy, they bring their own work. And we constantly just, you know, use that as a cue word through the session. If we feel it's like dropping off or I might stop and say, just ask them as a group, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how, how do we think our energy levels are? And they might all recognize it and they say, Oh, well, we're about six. Okay, fine. When, did, when did we notice we were at six? Uh, or probably at the start of the game. Okay, what did we do to fix it? Nothing. Okay, cool. Do we think that we can do better as a team to actually, if we're identifying some of those like energy drops, and it's like yes, and all of a sudden they go back into the game, and they're and they're firing on all four cylinders. Then, you know, so it's just about a recognition, about an expectation, and a reinforcement of that work rate, work rate, work rate all the time. We're we're working with them. And what happens if you get a player? or a group of players who think their work rate's actually quite high and you know it's substandard. What, what, uh, what do you, how do you retell the story? Their work rate's high, but it's substandard. Well, they, yeah, think, it's, they think it's high, and they're saying, oh, no, yeah. well, we think we're working really hard. Yet you know that the standard is, that they need to be achieving needs to be higher. What are you going to do to... Because this will happen probably more likely to happen with players who are at club level. And I'm not saying we want to be beasting players and really no. working them hard, but we know that there are times that they, they drop off. Is there a, I, I know it's not a magic bullet, but are there ways to nudge them up a level? So I tend to, to, so you could do simple things like you could put more than one ball in play. So rather than if, yeah, yeah. if a game, if a game would be, you know, one ball game and the ball goes on the floor or it goes off the field, then you're going to stop. They're going to walk. They're going to 
pick it up. They get, so you get two balls on the go. So as soon as one goes dead, you've got the other one thrown in. So you basically just tempo this ball. So you might give it to a player that's not been particularly active uh, or involved. You might make you targeting that player. So there you go, your ball play. And the other players will throw the ball back to me, so so they're already starting to go. So so by using just the throw, you you start the play with your ball, and then you give it to the player that you want to give it to, and the energy keeps going. So the ball is never out of play. Effectively, as soon as one goes out, another one straight in there. So there are different ways to actually do that to to try and keep that tempo going, and also targeting individuals within within that tactic. Right, and now we've got um, the, the tempo up. How much are you now saying? The game, the game's on, and you've yeah, uh, you're carrying yeah. the ball. You're throwing the ball back in, saying uh, uh, to a player, "This is your ball now." What else are you saying? Probably very little at that point. Just right. letting to letting to see what's going on, see how much energy they're bringing into it. You know, we've probably set some sort of level about what we're trying to get from the session. So, so certainly this year, our focus has been again using principles of play. So each session will be focused on one principle. So we just keep on nailing that one thing that they're trying to be working on. But, you know, if you, you can speak less and watch more and notice more about what's going on, um, then that, that, that tends to work better. Yeah, and I suppose the, the thing for us now as we get more experience as coaching is not to think that there's someone watching from the outside saying, but they don't seem to be doing any coaching. Because the reality is you're doing a lot more coaching without saying much. You're creating that atmosphere, creating the energy, and you're giving them enough of the challenge to discover for themselves. Yeah. And that's quite a scary thing because it looks could look a bit chaotic and it could look like you're not really adding much. So that takes some confidence, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think the trick there is to try and explain to the parents or, um, or the players why we're doing this this way. You know, we're trying to recreate uh, a, a, a session that is transferable into a game. So, so the certain aspects that you will see uh, in a session, they can say, well, where where can you apply this in a pro, in a full scale fifteen aside game rugby or, or whatever numbers we're playing? And as long as you're telling the parents that we are using the games as the the teacher, um, then then and the, then they seem to get it. And as long as you know, to reinforce that message, that they'll go well. When are you when are you going to start coaching them stuff? <laughs> and of course, uh, uh, talking about how you deal with parents is uh, is a whole different yeah. uh, ball game altogether. Ian, uh, really enjoyed the things that you've been talking about. Obviously, reinforcing some of the things that I, I believe in, but also adding some more flavour and uh, wrinkles to what is, in a sense, difficult. Is that ability to step back and let things progress but know when to step in, some good escape routes as well if things are not going quite right, but also the fact that you're you're more confident to take risks, and I think as coaches, the more we feel confident to take risks. It's not a – I don't think it's silly risks. I don't think you're going out there and doing something completely stupid. It's considered uh, there are some principles behind it, but you've got to be brave sometimes to do it, and especially brave to – step away so if you had one thing to um say right this is the big thing that i'm concentrating on the moment what would that be so questioning yeah questioning is my big thing so uh, so someone challenged me um a few months ago 
if you could only ask three questions in a session, what would those questions be? And it really does make you think about you've got three opportunities to intervene and ask them a sort of set of, a, a question that's really going to nail some aspect of the session that you're trying to get them to learn. What what would they be? Because you can just go through asking as many questions as you like, but the key ones, that the, the killer question, if you like. So, so trying to hone down to what are the killer questions that you can ask into a session that are going to make the difference. So that naturally means you're speaking less and letting the players do more. Um, and also, but when you do say something, it's going to be, you know, hopefully... Uh, and a killer question, an amazing learning moment. But that's really hard. Yeah, that is hard. And I am thinking myself, what will that killer question be? But I would obviously have to be an open question, um, not a yes, no answer. Um, are you yeah. going to share one of them with us? Oh, God, no, that's far too hard. <laughs> so you haven't come up with the three killer questions? Well, it, it, will, it will depend. It takes so long to take too, so long to think about your session, what you're going to do, and then trying to think about what those questions can be. It's, not, it's certainly not easy. Oh, so it's not three that you have uh, up your sleeve? It no, no, no. For each que- ah, right, okay. Yeah. Right, so what was the killer question from the weekend? Then? One killer question. I'll put you on the spot now because you, you may not have had a chance to uh, do this but what was the killer question from the weekend so 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 my killer question i stopped the game and i said why have i stopped this game now what have i seen that's really really good ah. uh, you know i'd framed the session about we were doing all this dodge and run forward and so i stopped and asked a bunch of seven-year-olds why have i stopped what have i seen that's really good to see if they notice stuff and was it the killer question? It, it, it worked. So they were all, to, you could feel them thinking. <laughs> and, 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 they, and actually what they'd done is one guy had stood in space, called for the ball, and another player had passed it to him. And it was, it was, it was perfect. You know, so, yeah, um, it was, you know, it was a really great moment. And so I'm, I'm whooping up and down going, that was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> so what did I just see that was really good? So if we get children at that age to start noticing stuff that's going on, then they can start, you know, high-fiving each other when they see some good stuff. So that's brilliant. Yeah, I like that idea of noticing. And I certainly am going to try and think of three questions. Well, think frame the ideas behind the three mm. questions. I think that's, that's also important. Ian, being delightful and also very interesting. Thank you very much for sharing all those Pleasure. ideas and um what's what's the next coaching challenge for you wow what's the next coaching challenge for me so um i'm my my current coaching challenge is that i've uh, i'm coaching a group of ladies and girls touch rugby so never really coached ladies before been doing it uh, for probably about a month um great fun but but coaching ladies after 11 years of coaching um mainly boys is uh it's interesting because they've they come at things in a slightly different way that's quite surprising at times yeah i would i would agree with that uh but uh, very enjoyable and it's a great all coaching experiences should be embraced um 
because they, they bring so many different challenges. And you come out of it, you mostly come out of it a better coach, sometimes a lot, a lot grayer <laughs> than you were when you first started. Anyway, as I said, Ian, it's been great. I've really enjoyed everything that we've been talking about. And as I said at the start, the energy that you bring and that's, uh, that the, the, the phrase passionately curious is, is important for all of us, really, because I think we are all trying to find that little extra little extra something which make, makes a difference. It's not the magic, magic bullet. It's just an addition on what we're doing. So thanks again, Ian, for your time. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Great. And uh, thank you very much, everyone, for listening to the Rugby Coach Weekly podcast. If you have, uh, I'll spell out her name, A-L-E-X-A. If I say it, I might activate her. If you have that and you say that and then enable Rugby Coach Weekly, then you can listen to this podcast in the comfort of your own home uh, electronically. So that's exciting. Um, Anyway, we've got plenty more podcasts coming up. So if you want to see what's gone previously, please go to the podcast tab at rugbycoachweekly.net. And I look forward to speaking to you all soon. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the Blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.